That music means your next hour is going to be about connection. Welcome to This Show Is All About You, a show dedicated to discussing and experiencing the things we all have in common. When you and me become we and explore what it means for all of us. Here's your host, historian, writer, social commentator, and a whole lot of other things, J.D.K. Winnekin. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another episode of This Show Is All About You. Thank you so much for taking the next hour to spend with me as we talk about things going on in the world, uh, as well as things uh, that are important to all of us, but hopefully we're going to get underneath some of those narratives and find those areas where we can connect on a human level, regardless of who we are, where we are, what we think about certain things, what we think about other people who think different things, all that type of stuff. This show is really about that. So So happy to have you here. And remember, if you miss any of this episode or any episodes of this show is all about you, it is available as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. At the end of today's episode, there will be 128 episodes of this show is all about you available wherever you get your podcasts on various platforms. And uh, I, even though as time goes by, I might change my mind on some of the things that I've talked about on the show. uh, It all does. It all is out there for anyone to find in perpetuity. And that's one of the reasons why I've done this show for as long as I have. And so happy to have you here. Uh, If you are brand new, uh, I need to make clear what other people have already heard. Uh, Today will be this, the last show of this episode. I'm going to be putting the show on hiatus for a little while as I explore some other things, which I will talk about here later on in the show and kind of see where this side of the things that I do in my life, where this fits. I'm hoping to pick it up again uh, at some point in the not too distant future. uh, And we will see where that goes and what that looks like when it happens. But I have immensely enjoyed doing this every week. And I'm so appreciative of all the feedback that I've gotten and the emails and the texts and the direct messages from people literally all over the world. And I'll have something else to say about that a little bit later on, as well as leave a few thoughts on what I think are some important things on my my way out, at least here. And not to worry, you will be able to find me in other forums, uh, particularly a couple of other podcasts uh, here relatively soon. And so I'll give you information on that as well. Uh, for one final time, at least uh, for the time being, I want to thank the longtime sponsor of the show, Airway Science for Kids which is a nonprofit based down in the Portland, Oregon area, which provides life and career pathway opportunities for underserved youth through the exploration of aerospace careers. And they do that by not only introducing kids to all the different hundreds of career options in the aerospace field, but they help them better connect with themselves, with their families, with their communities through a lot of very specialized, really interesting, uh, integrative work. And so if you'd like to know the amazing work that they do at Airway Science for Kids, please check them out at airsci.org, and you'll hear more about them during the show breaks. Okay, so we uh, let's take a look at, first of all, before I get into the rest of today's episode, let's take a look at what has gone on in the last week's news in a segment that I have always called, What in the World is Going On? One of the key factors I'm watching for is, do the Russians actually crack and crumble at some point? 
No plan survives contact with the enemy. The Ukrainian plan did not. They had to adjust from armored breaching. The minefields are just much longer, deeper than anyone realized. So they've used infantry squads. That means you're going to gain 100, 150 meters a day as opposed to several meters if you get a breakthrough. The pressure, though, has been unrelenting on the Russians, and I think we need to see where that does lead. They're in, they intend, this is not just a summer and a fall offensive. They're going to fight all winter, and they've stated that publicly. That was former uh, American General David Petraeus speaking about some of the larger questions now that we are entering into winter about the state of the Ukrainian counteroffensive that's been going on for five months. To what degree has it accomplished anything useful and what does it mean for the continuation of the war? And more or less, what we are going to be looking at most likely, barring a major change in something on the battlefield or in the political realm. We are probably looking at more of the same for the foreseeable future. Uh, a lot of fighting. The defenses that the Russians put up prior to the uh, Ukrainian counteroffensive turned out to be incredibly in-depth, incredibly intricate. And as you heard Petraeus say there, it means that the Ukrainian military has had to go essentially yard by yard across their own territory, which is, an, which is a massive amount of territory. Remember, that Ukraine as a country is about the size of Texas, and about 20% of that is what is being fought over. And so if you imagine that in that context from more of an American mindset, you can understand that this is a lot of land, a lot of territory, a lot of cities, a lot of open countryside, a lot of places where people can get killed on both sides. And Russia, it's worth keeping in mind and reminding everyone, despite the fact that they have failed miserably in this, this war, are now so heavily invested in it that they are going to continue to fight and continue to keep moving. And they are a significant global superpower. Ukraine is not. And so Ukraine is relying upon not only their willingness to fight continually and make the sacrifices they have had as, a uni as the Ukrainian people, but also on the support of the outside world. And the longer this goes, the more challenging that will get politically, militarily, economically, you name it. And now, of course, with the additions of another hotspot, not too far away, actually, uh, in Israel, things are getting incredibly more complicated. So I have led for since the war started, I have led off every episode of this show is all about you with an update on Ukraine for a reason. I committed to do that because I think it is perhaps the most important thing going on in the world. Certainly what's happening in Israel is right behind it or right next to it. Uh, but it is worth keeping an eye on that because that is a about a lot more than just Ukraine and Russia at this point. Meanwhile, uh, some updates as well from Israel and honestly, not a lot of it good. In the daylight, we could see the ruined skyline of northern Gaza. Israel is raising parts of Gaza to the ground and more tanks and armored vehicles are moving in along with armored bulldozers needed to clear paths in the destruction. We could also see what we can usually only hear, the constant presence of Israeli drones. Internet services knocked offline by Israel Friday have been partially restored by the Palestinian telecom company, so our crew could show us life inside Gaza City. It's becoming a wasteland. One of the uh, things that seems to be clear, even though the Israelis are not sharing a lot of what their, their incursion into G Gaza is looking like at this point, is that they are being very methodical. And what I mean by that, it sounds like a very antiseptic way to put it when we're talking about human lives. But what I mean by that is they are deliberately taking squares of territory about 100 yards wide or 100 yards square, 
and clearing it from top to bottom, meaning from the top of the tallest building all the way down to whatever Hamas tunnels might be below the surface and clearing out and from their point of view, killing Hamas fighters and uh, really kind of moving one step at a time and doing them kind of in rows as they move. Uh, it's worth keeping in mind, Gaza is 25 miles long. It's only six miles wide. Now, that's still a lot of territory to cover, but it sure looks like the Israelis are very serious in their, they are going to move deliberately. They're going to move slowly. And the idea is clear these rows of 100-yard squares as they move south and making sure they've cleared everything so that as they move on to the next row, everything behind them and underneath them has been cleared. It is a devastating process for everyone involved. It's going to be, certainly for the Palestinians who live there, uh, it is devastating. For the Hamas fighters, it is meaning they're going to be fighting to the death, which is what those Hamas fighters seem to want. And it's going to mean, of course, the, the deaths of a lot of Israeli soldiers, which means a lot more pain in Israel, more pain in the Gaza Strip than has already been inflicted one way or the other. And I've talked about on the show for the last few weeks since this started about the need for uh, a little bit more pausing in terms of our, not only in terms of what's happening on the ground, I've recommended, but also as we individually figure out where we stand on all this, what we think, what, how we understand what's actually happening in the world. All of these things, I think, still are true and perhaps even more true at this side. On one side, the thing that I keep coming back to from the point of view of Israel is this. Uh, first of all, Israel does have the right to defend itself. No one is really questioning that, uh, at least <laughs> not, not anybody who's, uh, in my mind, sensible. Uh, on the other hand, uh, the question of what is next on the other side of this remains unanswered. And it's something that, uh, you know, the more destruction that's involved in this, the further this goes, the longer Israel has to go and the further south it has to go, uh, it might be clearing the problem of Hamas and it might eventually eliminate them as a political force. Uh, but as we've seen in this part of the world and through, you know, extremist organizations worldwide, stamping them out in, in the now can be important. But that usually does not prevent another version of it popping up somewhere else. And the process then begins again. And of course, you're now going to have gener uh, several generations of Palestinian youth who this is going to be the central experience of their lives, particularly if they live in Gaza. And how are they going to respond to that? It is going to make radical ideas that have created Hamas in the first place, perhaps even more, even more appealing in the long run. Now, of course, the hope is that will not be the case. One would hope that Palestinians would also be taking a look at Hamas, at least privately, going, this is a huge part of the problem. That said, uh, what's next is going to be difficult. I mean, either it's going to continue to be this bloodletting back and forth, and perhaps the war expands if Hezbollah and Iran jump in. But say Israel goes all the way through this, clears Hamas out, and devastates the Gaza Strip in the meantime. There are several million Palestinians whose fates are still up in the air. And how does Israel then turn to its neighbors and say, this is what we want for peace? Now, from the point of view of Netanyahu and his right-leaning government, very far right-leaning government, the idea might be that at this point, the peace table just needs to be flipped over. And Israel has to show its dominance so overwhelmingly 
that the question about whether or not they can be pushed into the sea, which is Hamas's motto, uh, will never come to pass. Uh, that would be uh, certainly unfortunate in the long run, I think, certainly for Palestinians, but also, I think, for Israelis. The, the other thing that uh, I think when I think about with Israel is <sighs> Israel, if you are somebody who believes that Israel is committing a genocide, and I am not one of those who believes that, I ask the larger question is, what should Israel do then? Because if, if you're talking about Israel conducting a genocide here, no one, if you really believe that, you're not really interested in hearing anybody defend Israel because then, of course, from your point of view, it means that you're defending genocide. I'll talk about why I don't think this is genocide in just a second. But I would ask the larger question, if what Israel is doing is so fundamentally wrong at its base, even wanting to root out Hamas, what are they supposed to do? Commit national suicide? Self-immolate? Just up and leave, say, okay, we've been wrong for 75 years? We're just going to go now? That's the one thing that I never hear from people who are so staunchly Palestinian that they are demonizing the Israelis, not just for being uh, an actor doing what they're doing, but for being a state and for being Jewish. What are they supposed to do? And I realize it's a difficult question when you put these things side by side. And I've been saying for several weeks, that's the point. It's supposed to be difficult. Now, the reason why this isn't a genocide, there's plenty of them. And I've studied this. My PhD work was around this. And first of all, it's not a genocide because the Israelis are not trying to destroy the Palestinian people entirely. And genocide is an ethnic act. It is, about, uh, for the, it is defined as wiping out an ethnic group. Now, certainly we can debate about whether politically there can be those things. The Soviet Union certainly tried to wipe out its political enemies once upon a time. But in order for this to be a genocide, Israel would have to be declaring open war on the Arab people, which means the entire Palestinian people as well as all the Arab states nearby. And they aren't doing that. Second, if you study genocides in depth, the people, the groups that commit them, don't waste any time when they have an opportunity to do so. And they go after it full bore. Israel has not done that. We can criticize Israel in a lot of ways rightly for their treatment of the Palestinians over the 70, last 75 years. Certainly, there's room for that. But if Israel had wanted to commit a genocide, they could have done it long before now, or they could have at least attempted it long before now, and honestly, I think in the situation like that, the world would have stepped in <laughs> on that. And the fact of the matter is, the entire state of Israel is rooted in the most notorious genocide in history. It is part of the Israeli identity. It is part of larger Jewish identity. And <laughs> the, very, the very idea that en masse, every single Israeli who has that somewhere in their family background would all have in common, let's just go ahead and wipe out another group of people because they're threatening us, shows a fundamental lack of understanding of first of what genocide is, how different Israeli opinions are about the Palestinians, and takes away the agency of not only Israelis to make their own decisions, 
but of Palestinian organizations that have not exactly served their own people well over the last 75 years as well. To call this genocide is to effectively say you are not interested in a conversation or really finding an effective solution that is actually based in reality. Because whether we like it or not, whether you like it or not, Israel is a state recognized around the world. It is a state that is going to defend itself. It is a state that is going to do what it needs to do to not be pushed into the sea. And countries like the United States, their NATO allies in the EU, countries everywhere in the Arab world, all have a role to play in to try to keep this minimized. That's really what this is about. This is a political mess rooted in decades, if not longer, of trauma, individually and collectively, by groups of people who live in this part of the world, coming out of traumas like World War II and World War I, that have historical roots that stretch far beyond and far deeper than anything any of us can capture in a conversation, never mind a 30-second TikTok video or a quick meme on Instagram. To me, that whole idea of going genocide on the one hand and then just carte blanche for Israel on the other is the flip side of the same coin. It is not based in reality. Both of them show mm, there's something off with the moral compass, or at least the ethical compass, and certainly the historical compass, if that's either the direction we're going to take. And in the end, the United States is doing, I think, all it can do at this point with all of that. So just a few strongly worded thoughts on that, because in the end, um, nobody knows more what a genocide is than the Israelis. And this is not the case. And it does not need to be a genocide if you want to be critical of what Israel is doing. If you want to call it overreach, yep. It could very well be. If you want to call it disproportionate, yep, it very well could be. If we want to call it counterproductive in the long run or the short run, yep, it could be. That's a different conversation. And a conversation based in reality, closer to reality, than saying the Israelis should be able to do what they want. And on the flip side, Israel, a country founded in genocide, has so lost its way that now it is committing genocide. Neither one of those goes anywhere in addressing the problem in terms of a solution or actually in terms of what's actually going on. When we come back on This Show is All About You, I'll have a few more things to say about that and I'll give you a sense of where I'm going and why. So come on right back. I'm Julia Cannell, Executive Director of Airway Science for Kids. We sponsor this show is all about you because it exemplifies our core values, connectivity, communication, emotional intelligence, positivity, respect, and the power of possibility. Help us introduce historically excluded youth to all of these through the wonder and promise of aviation and aerospace careers. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace to all. Visit airsci.org to learn more and to contribute your talents.
Welcome back to This Show Is All About You, the last one of these episodes for a little while. I'm going to go on on kind of an open-ended hiatus here as I work on some other projects, which I will update you about here in just a little while. Um, I have a lot of gratitude for uh, this show and everything I've been able to do with it and the people who have invested in it and listened to it so faithfully from places around the world. And I'm going to be saying something about that a little bit down the line. Uh, one of the things, though, as I start to reflect on on why I got started with this show is all about you back several years ago now, 128 episodes ago, is because, you know, I would I just finished writing a novel, a historical fiction novel, an alternate history fiction novel called Crella's Inferno. And I had wanted to start building an audience for who I was as a writer and as a person and as a thinker and writer. and it was kind of this big wide net that I threw out there. This was all brand new for me. I longtime listeners of the show know that uh, back long before uh, I started any of this, I had had an academic career that was successful and I had driven really hard towards that. And uh, it just was not workable for me in the long run. And so I stepped away from it about a dozen years ago and started a process of rebuilding. I had a lot to work on, not just in terms of of developing a new career, but also really kind of connecting with myself for the first time and dealing with a lot of issues that had affected me negatively in the past, um, addictive behavior that I needed to get under control and better understand. And honestly, I needed to learn how to live as a human being within the human race and do so effectively in a way that uh, benefited me and didn't harm me and along the way benefited others and didn't harm others. That was the goal that I had. And so I reconnected with a lot of dreams that I'd had as a kid. And one of them was to write a novel. And of course, I had gotten a PhD. I had all this knowledge and all this interest in this, uh, the things that I talk about on this show in history, as well as current events. And so I put them all together and I wrote what I think is a really compelling story. And you can learn more about it at my website, wordsbyjdk.com. You can read the prologue to the book there, as well as get some more information about it. And so I wanted to get on the airwaves and talk a little bit about that, but then also kind of broaden things out a little bit, right? If that was my, the piece that I had painted, if you will, I wanted to sort of broaden out my <laughs> Renaissance man approach in various things. I write poetry. Uh, I, there's lots of different things that I do. And I added this to the list. Let me do a podcast and talk about this. And along the way, not only did I discover that that was a nice way to kind of build an audience, if you will, but I really enjoyed the process of doing it. And there was something powerful about putting my voice out around things that I feel strongly about. History, I feel strongly about. I follow current events, I feel strongly about that. Uh, certain sports like baseball, I feel very strongly about that. And I feel very strongly about the idea that people can grow from where they are, that people can indeed change, that the things that we think aren't possible for ourselves and for humanity collectively indeed actually are. And that oftentimes it is not just a matter of perspective, but a matter of choice in how we frame things, what we choose to look at something as, what are the stories we choose to tell. And as time went by and I got involved in human potential coaching, thanks to my friend and broadcast partner on Breaking Up With Our BS, Tawny Santabria, I began to get really interested in expanding my knowledge and experience of kind of that healing and that awareness of what's in the body.
for me as well as just what's in my mind. And the more that changed my life for the better and affected me positively and affected my relationships positively, the more I wanted to help other people do the same thing. And so I became a licensed or certified human potential coach and started seeing individual clients and working with them. And I have found a real love for that. That's one-on-one work to help people really connect with themselves and the gifts and the skills and the talents that they already have inside them, maybe undiscovered, maybe untapped, but also to better connect with all the things that the human body gives us in terms of how to confront our daily lives. It's not just how we think about things. It's not just how we feel about things, but how these, all these things combined show up in our body, what our body tells us in the process, and how if we integrate all of that together with more sleep, better diet, uh, more, you know, more communication, as well as just a sense of being able to experience difficulty, difficult emotions, difficult circumstances, and still sit in the security of being okay most of the time, we can actually accomplish more than we think. And it's not just about accomplishing. In fact, it's not even primarily about accomplishing. It's about finding and building and experiencing the things that we all seem to be looking for in life, no matter where we are, no matter how old we are. More ease, less stress, more connection with ourselves and with others, better relationships, more appreciation of the moment, uh, more fun. Finding more value in all the things that we do, knowing what our values are and learning how to better live from them and with them. And of course, the resulting effect that that can have, like a ripple on a pond, is our relationships around us can improve and get better, which means not only do our lives get better, but those that we are in relationship with, their lives can be better and have more and more of those things. And they become more and more open to those things. And so for the last couple years, right alongside this show is all about you. I've done breaking up with our BS with the aforementioned Tawny Santabria. And it has, much like this show has, it has gained an audience that is appreciative, that is open. uh, And it has really kind of driven more of my interest more and more in that direction. And so it's one of the reasons why, as I've been making decisions around what direction to go in, on the podcast side of things, I made the decision a handful of weeks ago to really move more, to put more of my energy, more of my focus into the next forward steps for me as a person. And that's doing that coaching piece that I mentioned, uh, as well as continuing the work that I'm doing with Tawny to bring these practices and this message about all of this to more and more listeners in more and more ways. The challenge with that, of course, is to do that, um, as much as I like to tell myself sometimes this isn't true of me, it remains true of me like it does for anybody else. I only have so much energy. I only have so much time. I only have so much bandwidth to be able to give to all of these things. And my book that I'm still looking to get published, that is a long process, and I, I don't always give that the attention that I really feel that it does need. And so that part has been a little bit lacking. Uh, Even the creative writing that I do, the poetry, uh, some of the essays that I do, the short stories that I post on wordsbyjdk.com, I haven't done as many of those in the last last year or so as I was not too long ago. And I'd like to get back to that a little bit more. And of course, I would like to 
um, be helping more people get better connected with themselves and improve their overall, I guess you could say their overall life performance. And so in order to do that, as I took a look at the big vista of my life with the relationships I have, with the commitment I have to take care of myself, um, my self-care and all of that, quality sleep, quality diet, quality exercise, quality time with myself and time with the people that matter most to me, there was only so much time to go around. And so when I, you know, if I was envisioning that the way Tawny sometimes talks about it, carrying all the things that matter to me in various buckets, I had a few too many buckets in my hand. So I needed to make some decisions about what bucket I was going to put down. And for a lot of different reasons, I came to the decision that I was going to put down the bucket of this show, at least for the time being, till I can figure out if I'm holding just way too many buckets, period, or if I can consolidate some of these buckets together. <laughs> and, and the answer has been a little bit of both since I made the decision to go on hiatus here. And uh, the one other reason is because, you know, my, this show, it, it didn't really start out as a show that was going to talk about necessarily history a lot or current events a lot, but it just sort of turned into that. And the feedback that I got from listeners was they really enjoyed that and they liked it. And it was something, a way to kind of move beyond the 30 second soundbite, to move beyond the two minute uh, broadcast on a piece on the news, to move past or to get beyond the social media cesspool, honestly, that a lot of news is filtered through and the algorithms that only show you what it is that you really want to see and the echo chambers that follow that. And I felt that that was an important thing to be able to do with my historical training, with my background in coming out of addiction and rebuilding life. These were all things that I thought I could contribute and, and bring value to listeners. And I think I've done that. And the feedback that I've gotten, not just from listeners, but also from the wonderful people here at Hubbard Radio Seattle has reinforced that. And so I'm very proud of that. And I love the fact that everything that I have said for 128 episodes will exist in perpetuity out there in the world. It can be found as a podcast and will remain available as a podcast. And even though after a while, some of those things may be dated, at least it will be a wonderful timestamp on where I was, what I was thinking about, what I was hearing from people at a certain point in time and having snapshots that look back on those things can be really valuable. If you're a podcast listener like I am, I sometimes really enjoy going back a few years and listening to a podcast episode from something from a few years back to hear it with new ears, if you will, with a little more knowledge of what has happened since then, not to necessarily hear if somebody was right or wrong. There are people who like to do that and then pin people to the wall but mainly to just get the reminder of, wow, we all really at our best are just simply doing our best in the moment to understand who we are, what we're trying to do, what's happening in the world, and what might be best for us individually and collectively moving forward. It's a wonderful way, going back and taking a look at the struggle, the endeavor, the resilience involved in being human no matter what we're talking about. And to sometimes hear stories from history of people who, whether they lived 75 years ago, 150 years ago, 500 years ago, even though their lives were very different in a lot of ways, they were still kind of looking for the same things and doing the same things and having debates with the same purpose in mind to create better lives 
to better understand themselves, to better understand the world, to, to better discern what was good, what was bad, or you don't want to go with the good, bad label, what was more beneficial and what was more detrimental, what was more natural, what was more unnatural. And that is something that each of us can find our own ways to do, even in ways that aren't as public as this media choice that I made to put out there. But it was important to me after a while, I realized that even though I'd been in academia and I'd taught in classrooms for a long time and had had conversations and had taught about events, uh, I didn't always put myself out there. When you're in a classroom, my thought was always with history, I wanted to teach my students how to think rather more than what to think. And so I would put out lots of different ways of viewing different events and let them wrestle with the difficulty. If that sounds familiar to longtime listeners, yes, that's what I do on the show without necessarily trying to be teaching, right? But one thing that I didn't do as much, and I realized that this show gave me the opportunity to do, was really to kind of take a stand on the things that I thought mattered. And my positions on events that people were having strong reactions to, one way or the other, and to bring a more historical, broader perspective than just simply the ones that we respond to in the moment. And I don't never pretended that mine was always the right one or comprehensive or necessarily addressing every single issue or every single part of an issue that somebody wanted to talk about. But it was my own place to stand, my own ground to stand on. And I hope through the process by doing it from a more thoughtful perspective, from a historical perspective, that that place I could stand on, I could invite more people to stand on that space with me and see what we might have in common, even if there were other things that we didn't agree on. And the fact of the matter is, even the people we love the most, we don't agree with them on everything. And I can't imagine how boring it would be and how our relationships would suffer if that indeed were the case. Because not only does difference create better <laughs> conversations, better debate, and spur curiosity and creativity, but having different perspectives on similar things can help us each grow further than whatever it is that we can pull together in our minds to tell us what the options are for how we should grow and how we could be. The most important moments I have had, not only on this show, but also in my life, almost always have to do with when I've been mulling over something, working on something, and I get some outside perspectives that just clear the air or remove an obstacle or highlight something that I hadn't seen, or give me language that I'd never had before, that simplified things, or showed me there was a little bit more complexity to something and encouraged me to pause. That's when I had these amazing moments of stepping forward and growing and moving in new directions. We absolutely need that. And so I've never approached this show as, here's the definitive word on this. I've treated it the way I've always treated history, an ongoing conversation, history about the past, the show about the present and where the past fits in, an ongoing conversation where we are all working towards better understanding, closer connection to the larger truth, not just necessarily of the events we're talking about, but of our existence. Because in the end, as we all scramble around in this very temporal life that we live in, as we all scramble around for what does it mean? Where do we go? What, is it, what do we do here? What, will we, what does it mean here if we do that? We're all just trying to figure out 
the best way to make all of this work and to grow and to benefit, to have ease, to have a sense of safety, to have a sense of purpose, to have love and connection. This show has been about kind of getting under all of that and connecting with that. But then the next steps I'm taking are moving more towards how can I better help people discover that all of those things that they're looking for already can exist within themselves and they can tap into it for their own benefit and for the benefit of the people around them. For now, it means I need to put this show aside so I can concentrate on making all of that happen more, not only with breaking up with our BS, but with a, another podcast that Tawny and I are adding that I'm going to tell you about right when we come back from our second break here on This Show Is All About You. I'll tell you a little bit more about that, say some thank yous, and let you know where you can find me going forward after today. So stick around. Be right back. Kids never have trouble dreaming about their future. The challenge is providing them the resources and opportunities to reach them. This is especially true from historically underserved communities. Fortunately, there's an organization that can help those dreams become reality. Airway Science for Kids helps underserved youth develop life and career pathways through exploration of aviation and aerospace. Using in-person and virtual programs, along with partnerships with companies, educational institutions, community health providers, and other resources, Airway Science for Kids helps students not only find their dream careers, but also learn how to better advocate for themselves and connect more effectively with their families, peers, and communities. To find out more, visit airsci.org. That's A-I-R-S-C-I.org. Or email info at airsci.org. Airway Science for Kids. Providing aerospace for all. All right, here we are back on This Show is All About You, the last segment of this show for a little while before I go on uh, open-ended hiatus. Um, I'm feeling the emotion of it as I sit here. Uh, I'm so appreciative of the opportunity to have done this for so long, uh, and I have a lot of people to thank, and I will do that in just a little while. Uh, but hopefully my explanation before the break of you know, why I'm doing what I'm doing made sense. So let me give you a little bit more sense of the concrete. Um, fortunately, I mean, I'm still going to be working with the wonderful people here at Hubbard Radio in Seattle to not only continue to do Breaking Up With RBS with Tawny Santabria, but also a second podcast uh, and show that will follow. Uh, and I'll talk about that in just a minute. But first of all, you can find Breaking Up With RBS uh, wherever you get your podcasts. There are a number of episodes, well over 100 of those, and each one of them is about 30 minutes. And what's wonderful about that podcast is you can pick up pretty much wherever you want and just go by the topics involved. It's a podcast about getting, understanding the BS stories that we tell ourselves in our head that oftentimes come out in our various emotional states that make us uncomfortable and really just kind of feed the problem of how do we deal with those emotions. And before long with that, we can be having emotional responses to things that aren't happening because we're fearful of what something in the moment might mean for the future uh, afraid of not getting something we want or losing something we have, and how do we work with that? So we've been doing that for a couple of years. If you want to listen to that every week on the radio, you can find us um, on Warm 106.7 in Seattle. Uh, and But again, you can get it wherever you get your podcast. Now, 
Tani and I, as part of that, have, have been working on a book, while breaking up with our BS, that uh, really kind of gets to some of the core of these things and talks about our own connection with this process of better getting to understand these stories, connect with them, and then disconnect with them in order to have more ease and flow and connection in our lives. But one of the things that we realized not too long ago is uh, perhaps there was room for a second show with a little bit of a different direction or a different overall focus. And that show is going to be starting uh, not this week, but next week. And it is called Staying Power. And the subtitle of Staying Power is Resilience is a Choice. Resilience, in a lot of ways, is <laughs> really what we look to develop as human beings, even though it's a very big term and can define a lot of things. And we're hearing a lot about resilience these days in different quarters, oftentimes around mental resilience. But Tani and I are interested in taking it beyond just looking at mental resilience. And we wanted to talk about how do we, as human beings, develop more of that with the focus, of course, on more ease and flow and connection. And there's lots of ways that uh, we can better understand this. Uh, we can understand it as a biological thing, in the fact, needing sleep, better diet, exercise. We can understand it as a sort of culturally contextual point of view. You know, what are the things that we, the messages we get culturally that push us in certain directions? We can look at it from a spiritual point of view, an emotional point of view, a physical point of view. There's so many different ways. And we decided that this might be a good way to go about that. And so, and as part of that, one of the things that we were interested in showing everybody is that this has been kind of a human thing for as long as there have been humans. This not only the need to develop resilience, but an understanding that it kind of matters. And so for those of you that have enjoyed my historical approach to this, you'll be happy to know that that will be a part of staying power as well. Talking a little bit, whatever the topic is of that day, there's going to be a little bit of a little bit of a history vignette around how that's been understood in the past, who's talked about it, where we've seen it before, just as a way to ground that in the fact that this is actually a human thing. This isn't something that's been made up in the 21st century. It's just something that we seem to be more open to reconnecting to, or at least some of us. And so we wanted to give people a broader introduction into that. And then breaking up with our BS in a lot of ways is for people who are ready to really dig in and do the work on disconnecting with those stories. I highly encourage you to check out both of them. Both of them are, will be available as podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to listen live to the new Staying Power, it's going to debut next week uh, on Mondays at 1.30 on KKNW, 1150 a.m. in Seattle. And there's a website you can find. You can listen to it live without a problem. But again, uh, it's called Staying Power, and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you in advance for subscribing, for giving us a review, for sharing it with your friends and your family and your loved ones, anybody you think would be interested. And uh, there'll be more to it with that. Uh, Tony and I will be building up some different ways of talking about it on different platforms, uh, web platforms and the like. But that'll build over time. And that's sort of how Tony and I do things. We kind of take things as they come and uh, add things as we go, all in the interest of kind of building this out more broadly in the long run for listeners and eventually for readers. So, in some ways, it is a very natural branch off from this show is all about you in that sense that um, I've always believed from a historical standpoint, I think it's one of the reasons why I studied history for so long, that we have things as human beings that connect us over time and space and beyond history uh, 
even though the individual histories are so unique and so important to understand, they are part of a larger human story or a larger human tapestry that continues to be woven by all of us over time. And that tapestry in the end, or that history in the end, will tell the story for somebody, <laughs> and maybe just for all of us, um, of what it meant to be human and what it is that we did while we were here and where were the areas where mistakes were made that we would like to not repeat again. What were those larger lessons? And how can we as a species, human species, continue to develop resilience in such a way that allows for all of us to get further and further down the road to more connection, more peace, more ease, and less conflict, less hatred, less division. While I think that certainly conflict is not the worst thing, I'm talking about the type of conflict where human beings get destroyed in the process. Not the conflict where people are working towards a larger goal or disagree or looking to work on something together. That's not the type of conflict I'm talking about. That type of conflict is part of developing resilience. And that's something that staying power will get into. So really excited about all of that. Um, and so for the last few minutes here, I want to kind of reflect on some of the, I think some big things I think I'd like people to take away. And then I have some important thank yous to, to make. First, one of the things that I would continue to stress, and I always have on this show, is the, the need to pause. When we read things, when we have reactions to things, whether it's in the news, whether it's something we read in a history book, whether it's something in a relationship that something unexpected has happened, the need to pause. To not simply assume that whatever emotional reaction we are having or whatever story we are telling ourselves is the actual truth of the matter that there actually may be a lot of things that we're not aware of, that we don't know, perspectives we haven't considered. That doesn't mean that we should not have any feelings over anything. What it does mean, however, is that we, if we can sit with the initial feelings we have, recognize that we have them, and know that they may not be telling us the truth, we might be starting in a really, really good place. And then behind that, the need to talk that through, the need to vocalize that, the need to connect with the people that we are closest with, not because we need them to fix something for us or to solve the problem, but for us to experience them understanding what we're talking about or empathizing or maybe even disagreeing, but seeing in another person the fact that not only is this thing that's affecting us important, but they can get it as well. That's in a lot of ways the essence of connection. So pausing uh, on a personal level with anything can go a really long way and putting side by side the fact that we may not understand all there is to know and there might be other perspectives worth considering, that is more often than not going to take us down a better road than just simply reacting in the moment to something. That's not, reacting isn't good. Responding is good, but responding is an intentional process. Reactive is not. So that's the first thing. Second thing, and I believe strongly in this too, um, too often, the things that get the most attention, whether it's in history, whether it's in current events, are the extremes that bring the most attention. Politically, we've seen it all over the world. I talk about it on the show all the time. We see it in the United States and its politics. We see it in what happened 
in Israel, particularly with Hamas and extreme position, uh, all of these things we give more power to by responding to them or giving those positions more credence and assuming that they're more widespreadly held than they really are. The extremes in politics or in society, they exist for a reason, usually because people who embrace radical ideologies are unsatisfied with the status quo. And there can be elements of truth and understanding to why those people feel that the status quo doesn't work for them. You know, injustice is a real thing. Now, the problem, though, is that usually those extremes are looking for extreme solutions that are fast, that are violent, and that often are so extreme that the majority of people out there reject them outright. And yet, they tend to dominate the conversation. That middle area in between, where the majority of people are, is in the end where stability is. And that doesn't mean that anybody who's in the middle, quote unquote, socially, politically, should just say, okay, well, everything has to go slow or this isn't a problem or whatever. There should be more responsibility for people in the middle, if you will, to take more responsibility, to not only pause more, but to be more patient, to listen more, to be open, to be creative in their problem solving and to work together. And that means difficult conversations. That means open-ended conversations. That means a lot of listening, <laughs> a lot of reflecting. And in the end, it means knowing what values we each stand on and how can those match best with people who might have different sets of values around a larger set of values that we can have in common. And it seems to me that the first one is we're all on this big blue marble together. It might be worth taking care of it while we're here and for the people that come behind us. Starting point there could be good. So there's that. And finally, third point, history is not a weapon. History shows us where we've been. It can be a reflection on the human character, if there is such a thing that we can speak about in solitude like that. It can show us often what doesn't work, but it does not account for necessarily ingenuity. It can give us stories about ingenuity and originality, but it doesn't take that away from us in the time being. It also shows us the responsibility we have in the now to handle things in the now in a way that preserves it well for the people who come after us. We often do not want to admit that we are part of a larger continuum of people that lasted long before us and will last, <laughs> hopefully, far beyond us. That we will be read about in history books, whatever those look like, in 500 years, the way we read about people now. What do we want them to see? How do we want to be remembered? History shows us that. It is not a weapon to be used in the present to tar our enemies with something. To Because what that does is muddy the water. And it takes away agency for people involved. Not only the people that we are tarring in that, in that kind of accusatorial way, but also for ourselves to be part of the solution. History can illuminate. It can't make us walk the walk ourselves. We have to do that for ourselves and hopefully learn that whatever's in the light is the safest path to follow. 
Okay. So, coming to the end of this episode, and for now, <laughs> this show. <laughs> this show is all about you. Uh, I have a lot of thank yous to give out. I've mentioned Hubbard Radio Seattle, who've been huge proponents of this show is all about you. So thankful to them for all the work they have done with this and for giving me this platform. In particular, I need to thank Eric Ryder, who's my in-studio producer, mix master, editor. He's been in here for almost every single one of these shows. Eric, I cannot thank you enough for all the help and encouragement you've given me. Thank you so much for bringing this to listeners. Thank you. It's been a pleasure uh, listening to the show as you do it every week. So <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. I'm going to miss that, but I'm um, looking forward to the new program as well. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm glad you'll be a part of that as well. So thanks to all of that. And if you've listened to the show for a while, you know that I usually go down a list of individual people who I thank for uh, the week that I had, you know, for whatever that looked like. Names that the majority of people out there, they have no idea who they are. Uh, all those people um, I could still thank today, but I'm going to do a little bit different uh, on the way out. As, and I want to talk a little bit and thank the people from all the different places where I know this show has been listened to, either live or it has been downloaded as a podcast. And it's pretty cool to go down the list. And so those of you in these cities, when you hear your city, I'm talking about you. And thank you so much for being a part of this. And thank you for continuing to follow me at wordsbyjdk.com on my social media feeds, W-Y-N-E-K-E-N. You'll find me and you'll see more as time goes by. I am not disappearing. In fact, I am just going to be channeling in a little bit of a different direction. So for those people, this is where you are. Thank you so much. Seattle, Washington, Vancouver, Washington, Portland, Oregon, Los Gatos, California, San Francisco, California, Oakland. Sacramento, Long Beach, Thousand Oaks, California, Los Angeles. I'm big in California. <laughs> Spokane, Washington, Boise, Idaho, Salt Lake City, Utah, Fort Collins, Colorado, Denver, Colorado, Phoenix, Arizona, Tucson, Arizona, Reno, Nevada, Las Vegas, Nevada, Kansas City, Missouri, Lincoln, Nebraska, Missoula, Montana, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Buffalo, New York, New York City, Tampa Bay, Florida, Sarasota, Florida, Austin, Texas, Little Rock, Arkansas, Chicago, Illinois, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Cleveland, Ohio, Virginia Beach, Virginia, Wilmington, North Carolina, Philadelphia, PA, Honolulu, Hawaii, Hilo, Hawaii, Atlanta, Georgia, and outside of the United States, London, Edinburgh, Paris, Lisbon, Bogota, Melbourne, Australia, and Dubai, UAE. Thank you so much to all of you. I always say at the end of this show, I could not do this for you without you. That has always been true. That will continue to be true. And I really look forward to seeing you down the line and hearing from you down the line in further shows. And believe me, if and when this show gets picked up again and I start it anew, you will be the first to know. Thank you so much. Chins up, everyone. See you down the road.